0: You're listening to the Heat Fluids Podcast, and we're having candid and actionable conversations about your health, relationships, business, and ministry. And now here's your host, the second chance Coachman, Michael David Huey. Welcome to another session of the Heat Fluence Podcast. These have been more fun recently. They're always fun. I think we've done over 130 episodes which I still can't believe that we've done that and my friend Dr. Eric Thomas is a motivational speaker and he sends me a new shirt every year and this one I have on today says last couple of years they were kind of similar but this year it was based on his book and it says you owe you know you owe me and basically the you is crossed out and it says I owe me right and I thought wow it fits with the book that he read and you know today my friend and my guest is an author He's just a really good guy. I actually met him through, we'll just say there are better half, right? Jake, <laughs> Jake is not married yet, but he has a, a person that makes him better, right? So we know that I say this all the time with it. I'm going to say this about my wife, Lisa. In the word of God, it says, a man who finds a wife finds a good thing and finds favor with God. I found favor with God. So I think as we go through this journey of life, we constantly want to surround ourselves around people that make us better, right? And so my guest today, Jake Kaufman, he's a speaker, he's a transformational coach. He's a visionary for men and entrepreneurs. I love that. I love what he said. And he's very intentional with the things that he does. Like sometimes when I say to people, Jake, when I say, hey, send me a bio. And I say a small one, they send me like this paragraph and I'm not going to read it all (laughs) because it would take away from my time with them. And Jake was perfect. He wrote like one or two sentences. Which was perfect. And I say this, when you're building a brand or you're building relationships with people, just like now, I partnered with a publicly traded company about 12 years ago. And I was sharing with Jake that they just became, and they're one of our sponsors, and they just became the second company to ring the bell twice at NASDAQ. They've done it twice now. And one of the the head of the boards, uh, Aaron Brockovich, if you guys remember a movie back in the late 1990s uh, called Aaron Brockovich, Julia Roberts played Aaron. And I get the privilege of working with the real Aaron Brockovich, because she's the head of the board of this company. And she's one of the greatest wellness advocates, I think, of all time. Like, if you didn't know the movie, I'd tell you to go back and watch it. My wife and I watched it again recently, a couple years ago, just because when we got to meet and we're like, wow, I feel like, you know, now we've watched the movie, now we've met the real person. Let's go watch the movie again and kind of see the insights and outsides of that. So, Jake Kaufman, welcome to the Heat Podcast, brother. I recognize that place where you're sitting because I've had some conversations <laughs> with your friend that, that uses that same spot, our friend, Carrie. And so I'm grateful that you're here, brother. I'm excited to get to know you better.
1: Michael, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So Jake, I'm excited to hear your story because I feel like I know you a little bit better now because we've had mm-hmm. some good conversations, but I really want people to get to know you. And and I told mm-hmm. him, this like, I used to have kind of this scripted podcast, you know, and then my friend Tim's story and my friend Eric Thomas is like, stop doing that, you know? And it was funny, a couple of weeks ago, Tim has created this group for men and he invited a hundred men that he's going to pour into for the next six months. And And I was honored and privileged to be a part of that. And we began to talk a little bit about, about that, about, you know, how to validate ourselves, in a way that fits our personality and who God created us to be and not trying to be somebody or something that we're not. And so I value that about you. And so tell us a little bit about yourself, like where you came from, like where you started your story so people can get to know you better.
1: No, yeah, I appreciate that. And uh, excited to be here once again. So as far as, as my story is concerned, at least as it relates to the book, the thing that I often say is that while the book is about me, it's not meant for me. It's meant to bless and serve, and guide and direct other people. Right? I am I am simply a vessel. But as far as where I came from, who I am, what I do, all of those, all of those things. So my name is Jacob Kaufman. Like you mentioned, transformational coach, spiritual mentor, and author. My recent book, my first book, is called "Let Love In." The pain stops when the truth starts, and the story itself actually starts roughly 25 years ago. When I was 12 or 13 years old, I was at Christian summer camp. And unfortunately, I experienced uh, an acute incident of sexual assault. And this incident was, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back, if you will, in terms of really changing or altering the trajectory of my life. And obviously, in hindsight, I can sit here and tell you that I do believe that God ordainly guided and directed that incident to be able to shape and transform me into the man that I am today to be able to serve other people. But nevertheless, at the same time, was significantly traumatizing for myself. And what I noticed, because I don't want to necessarily make it about the incident, because trauma is significantly more about what happened inside of you as a result of what happened to you as opposed to what actually happened. And we know this through the work of Gabor Mate, if you're familiar, who is one of the foremost psychotherapists and experts when it comes to trauma and addiction and how those things play off of one another and influence each other. As a result of what I went through, and I didn't find this out till years later, of course, was that I started to mask. I started to act as if. I started to act as if I was fine, as if I had it all together, as if I was successful, when really all of those things were adaptive strategies or compensating strategies to avoid dealing with the pain of the abuse. And this is very much in alignment with how we develop as humans in general, because when we're really young, Our personality, and and personality derives from the Latin word persona, which literally means mask, we become who we think we need to be in an effort to be loved, accepted, and successful. And so our personality, in large part, is not necessarily who we are, it's who we've become. And we're so close to it that we don't recognize it. We think it's just who we are when in reality, that's only partially true. Our personality in many ways is this amalgamation of traits, some of which are genuine, of course, but a lot of which, especially in my case or in anyone's case who has experienced any type of significant abuse or trauma. And I think it's important to establish that we all have experienced trauma because it's much more about the stories and the beliefs that we make up about ourselves as a result of what has happened to us, as opposed to what has happened to us? And so when you think about it, I became who I think I needed to be in order to avoid and run away from this pain.
0: Mm, that's good. So the way
1: that I put it is I started to perform. I started to act as if, like I mentioned earlier, but this simply served to exacerbate the pain because I wasn't actually addressing it. So until we reconcile the pain from the past, what are we going to do? We are inevitably going to recycle it into the present moment. And this is unfortunately where a lot of people find themselves today, uh, regardless of where they're at in their career, where they're at in their relational life, no matter how much success they seem to experience. The common themes, especially with the men that I work with in this day and age, is That on some level, there is this gap or this split in between who they are right now in this moment and who they're meant to be. Mm. And what I have found time and time again, this never fails, is that that gap is due to unreconciled pain from the past. And that's why I wrote this book.
0: So good. That's so good. That's so good. I think there's a lot to unpack what you said. I'll I'll, I'll tell you this, Lisa and I talk about this all the time. I think a lot of time our identity becomes prevalent from what's happened to us, either in trauma or life. Even with me, and I'll ask you that question in a minute, even with me, like growing up in an alcoholic father's home, and you don't know this, but you just, you brought something up and and we obviously value people privacy, but I had a client that recently had given his life to Christ and mm-hmm. had a bad experience with another male adult from church and very common. He, yeah. And and he said, I could have either went away from God mm-hmm. or to God. And, and we've seen, we've all seen it. We've seen people, you know, never want to go back to church or never want to be around another person of faith or never in and, and a lot of times we being, believers right they put their faith and trust in a man or a title or whatever that is Mm -hmm. because i mean it's the very similar thing and this will lead into my question you know my wife was sexually molested at a very young age by her uncle and uh she struggled with it for years until she got really born again and really let god heal her from the inside out right Mm-hmm. hence what, sure. what you're talking about and she actually uh 24 hours before her uncle died confronted him and led him mm-hmm. to christ before he died got wow. him to repent ask for forgiveness the whole mm-hmm. nine yards i'm gonna be honest i don't know if i could have been that strong to be able to do that but here's what i've learned and this mm-hmm. will lead right into my question is you know, and you said this, you said it in the very beginning, and it, and it leads into what I'm about to ask you and what I I want to hear from you is is, you know, a lot of times people, Jake, they think forgiveness is about the other person. Mm-hmm. Okay. They think, hey, my wife's like, Hey, I didn't forgive him for him. I forgave sure. him for me, right? Mm-hmm. Like, because you know, and she went and my wife is very scriptural. So she just went down the Bible and said, God says, if I don't forgive others, how can he forgive me? Because I'm totally on my best, she said, on my best day, I'm but filthy rags, right? So Mm -hmm. when you think about forgiveness Mm -hmm. and what that means in the transformation of what you went through, talk a little bit about that and the importance of that along the journey.
1: Well, I think it's very important. And at the same time, I also don't think we should tell people that they need to forgive somebody else. And here's what I mean by that. If you engage in healing, whatever that looks like for you, whether it's working with a spiritual guidance counselor, with a pastor, with a therapist, or with a coach, if you are prompted to do healing work and engage in any level of personal development work, if you're on any type of spiritual schedule, eventually forgiveness will be an organic natural byproduct of that. It won't need to be prompted and it won't need to be forced because telling someone that they need to forgive someone for what they did to them before they're ready to do so can actually be traumatizing in and of itself Yep, because that can actually be an avoidant tactic because the person offering up advice is uncomfortable with conflict or tension And doesn't know how to be with or stay in conflict or tension until it has had its way with you. Amen. And so from my experience, as someone who has been committed to self-improvement, personal transformation, forgiveness just kind of became this free response, if you will. Like it just made sense at a certain point in time that after I had worked through all the anger and the bitterness and the resentment, which was very much a necessary part of my overall healing experience, was that I felt the weight of all of those things with regard to not just my abuser, but also to the people who were present when my abuse actually happened. Because it happened in front of a group of friends, none of whom intervened to try and stop it. Right, So there were a lot of different Facets to the overall experience and a lot of complicated emotions, if you will. Eventually, I was led to a place you could say that I was led by God. I might not necessarily use those words necessarily, but it, it just was this free response that was just natural and organic because I had worked through and reconciled that pain.
0: It's good. Well, I but mean, it's incredible
1: it's incredibly important. Absolutely.
0: Well, the closer that I become, mm-hmm. and I'm just gonna use my reference, the closer that sure. I become with the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit lead and guide and direct me, mm-hmm. I, I learn a lot from my my spouse. Like my spouse, sure. she's not a people pleaser. She doesn't feel like she has to, you know, when she said when she forgave when she confronted and forgave her attacker, like like you said. Sure. Her response was not for him. She wasn't expecting anything right. in response from him. Like you said, she was doing mm-hmm. that for her. Right for her.
1: totally, totally. Well, as long as you hold on to anger, bitterness, or or resentment, you know you're in some way, shape, or form going to be a slave to those things.
0: Hundred percent, and part and, of your identity too. Yeah,
1: right. And, and and in many cases, it becomes your fuel and your motivation for what drives you and and what pushes you to achieve accomplish whatever you set out to do because you have something to prove or something to protect yep so i think anger and bitterness and resentment towards people that have hurt you i think it is necessary that we feel all of that and that we we work through all of it we allow those emotions to kind of eat and consume us i think the risk that a lot of people need to look out for is bypassing those things too early. So do I think forgiveness is absolutely necessary? 100%. Do I think it's much more for you than it is for the other person? 100% so that you don't stay in prison, right? So that you don't hold on to these things for any longer than you absolutely have to. Because if you engage in them enough, eventually, it's just like a riptide. Eventually, it's just going to spit you out you know, with a riptide, the common advice, if you're familiar with it, is to swim parallel to shore, to swim with with the riptide, with the current. And if you do that long enough, eventually it's just going to spit you out. And I think the same is true for when it comes to reconciling and working through the uncomfortable emotions that come with pain, whether it's anger, whether it's bitterness, whether it's resentment. If you stay in the space of those emotions long enough and you fully feel the weight of all of them, eventually' you're, they're just going to spit you out and the free response, the natural byproduct of engaging in those emotions, is going to be forgiveness.
0: I agree. And I, and I think one thing that I just had this revelation I wrote down as you were speaking, you know it goes back to a scripture that says, you know, you're better to be hot or cold than to be lukewarm, right? Mm. Because mm-hmm. if I'm battling if i'm I'm either grieving, or I'm thriving, I'm not, you know, I'm grieving, thriving, grieving, you know, back and forth. And because what's it say mm-hmm. is will spit them out of your mouth, just like you said, in that transformation. So for me, like, I, I had a situation recently. And I knew that I had all these emotions bound up. And if I didn't, like get them out, and it was somebody mm-hmm. close enough that I could speak that to, I would have just carried that into the next situation when something came up, right. And so okay. I was able to express all that. It didn't go exactly the way I thought it was, but my identity, the way I felt about it, I wasn't attached to it. And Jacob, it takes me back to a situation that my wife and I were talking about recently. I had this huge opportunity set up with a a nonprofit organization. I was going to be coaching the whole program and it was going to be like a 10-year contract and it was going to be a big contract. And when it didn't go the way I wanted, I was mad at first. (laughs) I was like, and my wife's like, She said, Why don't you just be like Pontius Pilate? Why don't you let the emote? Why don't you just go deal with it and then wash your hands? I said, Because is that someone you want to work with? You want to work with that person? Like you want to be in in ministry and and stuff like that? So I think a lot of times when we go through these things, you know, we have to look at where we're going instead of where we've always been, right? Because a lot of times people gravitate back Mm -hmm. towards those things. And and it's just like yeah. when my wife and I were apart and we got back together and renewed our vows, like, I don't want to be the same old Mike that I was before. I'm, I am I I want to be a better husband. And I just celebrated my, my 55th birthday on Friday and my wife got me a card.
1: Happy belated.
0: Thanks, brother. My wife got me a card and I weeped as I read it because mm-hmm. I don't think if that was the old Mike, she would have written that card. And so mm-hmm. the investment that I've put in myself and, and you're going to, you'll appreciate this Jake, when when Lisa and I got back together, we obviously went to do some counseling, right? With our pastor and, and his wife. And we kind of sat across from each other. And the pastor, my friend, Pastor Dwight Rogers mm-hmm. said, hey, Lisa, on a scale of one to 10, how much do you trust Michael? And I was like, I thought she was going to say like a three or a five, right? Because mm-hmm. we just got back together after being apart for a couple of years, right? And she said a seven. Mm-hmm. And the Lord said, that's because of the work that you put in. Mm -hmm. at becoming that person. So tell us a little bit about, from your perspective, about what happens when we continue to carry those things with us. Like when Mm -hmm. we've, you know, we don't really overcome the Mm -hmm. trauma and that stuff and how it carries over into our health, how it carries into our relationships and how, you know, other people are watching us. If we have children, the children are watching us and stuff like that. Talk about that a little bit.
1: Well, it creates a ripple effect, as you can probably imagine. But for myself personally, I didn't have language for this at the time. But what I would say to my clients now is that the pattern always reveals the problem. Mm. So 15-ish years after the incident, so I would have been in my mid to late 20s. Now I've been roughly 27. I started to notice myself repeating patterns, primarily in my professional life and in my personal life. Uh, so romantic relationships and as it related to my career. I have been fired from every professional job I've ever had. And you know, you could probably say, well, that's that's why you were always meant for entrepreneurship, which I think on some level is true.
0: <laughs> maybe a little bit. May- yeah.
1: Right, maybe a little bit. But the unconscious side of that, which is reality, our unconscious mind is reality, not our conscious mind, is that I did not feel worthy of success. And so on some inherent level, I needed to sabotage, I needed to self-sabotage myself in my professional life as I started to thrive, as I started to make more money, as I started to climb the corporate ladder, I needed to self-sabotage, which is just to say self-protect in an attempt to confirm that pre-existing belief, All right? So this Played itself out as a pattern in my professional life. When it came to my romantic life, I really, really struggled with depth of connection and intimacy because after my abuse, depth of connection and intimacy fundamentally felt unsafe to my nervous system. And so beyond a certain point, that felt incredibly unsafe. And so again, what did I need to do? I needed to self sabotage the relationship. And so I would find some relatively insignificant reason to break the relationship off or run away from the relationship. Primarily right around the time when, you know, it's time for the masks to come off and, 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 you know, you reveal like the truth of who you really are, which I've come to find is right around like six months, you know, cause in the beginning, everyone's putting like their best foot forward and, yeah. you know, making a good impression. Throwing and your focus- pitch
0: out. You're throwing your pitch out.
1: Hundred yep, percent. Closing arguments. Closing ab, arguments. Absolutely. Yep. Your your primary your primary focus is on making a good impression and on yes. looking good. And after about six months, you know, you have your first significant argument. You know, and, and you're together long enough to where all of a sudden you're like, this is this is who I really am. You're no longer able to perform because of frequency because you are around that person so frequently, and so. I would sabotage my romantic relationships. And so I started to become keenly aware of this, that like, okay, like in my career, in my you know, romantic life, it's just like the same song, different dance, same package, different bow type of situation. What's going on here? Like, is there anything that's behind this that is, is motivating this, right? So I kind of tuned into the fact that something was motivating these behaviors that I wasn't fully aware of. And, you know, when it comes to being aware, when it comes to being conscious of the things that drive us, as long as we're unaware, whatever we're unaware of controls us. Once we become aware, however, we are in control of it. And so it forced me to take a deeper look. It forced me down this path of self-introspection to determine like, what is behind these patterns? what is causing me to continue to to recycle or recreate you know the same experience over and over again and as carl jung would say until you make the unconscious conscious it will continue to direct your life and you will call it fate and so that's right around the time that i started working with a therapist and we started unpacking my struggles with with intimacy because for context purposes we all have a threshold in terms of what we feel safe to receive whether that's money and financial abundance, whether it's love or whether it's opportunity, anything that exceeds that threshold, we will need to self-sabotage in an effort to return to homeostasis, which is say, which is just to say in order to return to safety. Mm-hmm. Right? And we see this play itself out very prominently with lottery winners, for example, which I'm sure you're aware of the statistics. It's like over 72% of lottery winners 18 months after having won right. the lottery are either back to the financial position that they were in prior to having won the lottery or in an even worse financial position, right? Because their circumstances, their results far exceeded this threshold, what is referred to in psychology as your window of tolerance. It goes so far beyond your window of tolerance that you have to self-sabotage in an attempt to return to safety and normality, what you are familiar with and what you're used to. So I found myself doing this I started working with a therapist. I started to unpack this like, where do you think this struggle with intimacy comes from? Where do you think this worthiness conversation comes from? And I do believe on some inherent level that we're all born with that um, to a degree, this lack of worthiness conversation or this not being good enough. But as you can probably imagine, this abuse played a very significant role in confirming that pre existing belief. And so it wasn't until I started to bring that to the surface. Because as a 12-year-old, I had no idea what to do with that experience or with that pain. So what did I do? I dissociated. I pretended as if it didn't happen. I completely didn't acknowledge the experience for what it was until my therapist said, have you ever thought more about that experience and like how it impacted you and like what that was? And so this is 15 years after the incident where I finally acknowledged for the very first time that, oh, that was abuse, wasn't it? And he was like, yeah, that was. And only then did I become conscious and connect the dots of how that incident was playing itself out in my life, in my external results when it came to my health, my wealth, my relationships, and the ripple effect that it was causing and creating because I was continuing to play this avoidant role because I didn't want to have to experience that level of pain again, but it was ultimately causing me to recreate it because that's what happens. We create what we fear. We manifest what we fear. And this is very similar to the experience that you portrayed around this whole thing. Whenever we experience a challenging cycle in our life, what is the natural egoic response We don't want to repeat that challenging cycle. And so that's where our focus is. That's where our focus goes and therefore our energy. And eventually wherever our energy goes, wherever our attention goes, it eventually becomes our intention. And so we just start manifesting the very thing that we're afraid of. And that's what happened with me. And so I started to go down this path and really unpack all of these different things and heal And that's when all of these different areas started to improve in my life. My romantic relationships, my career, both within uh, healthcare technology, which I eventually moved into a, a few years, roughly four years after I started to go to therapy. Every part of my life started to improve because... I started to detach emotion from experience, right? So this very painful, abusive experience, I started to reconcile the painful emotions that I had worked so hard to avoid for 15 plus years. And most of this was unconscious, but it required me to do that in an effort to ascend and reach the next level in my, in
0: my life. That's so good. That's so good. When I was thinking about this, and then I'll ask you the last question. I was thinking about my spiritual father brought me in in my 20s. Mm-hmm. And I think I had carried a lot of just resentment and anger. You know, my father was an alcoholic, you know, and he was constantly in a place where, you know, never happy. And it was always portrayed onto me. Right. And I saw, sure. some, I saw some rough things. Like I saw my mom, you know, been beaten from head to toe. And I was like, I mean, there's just a lot of stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: when, when my spiritual father at the time I was in my late twenties, came mm-hmm. to me and said if you don't get a grip on all of this
1: because mm-hmm.
0: I was sabotaging relationships I was you know I was successful in business because it was easy because I was good at that part but I wasn't good at the part that I was failing at right mm-hmm. and he led it back to self ambition I struggled with self ambition for the longest time like I really and he said to me he said if you don't get this figured out now you're going to spend the rest of your life alone, miserable, mm-hmm. self sab my, my friend, Jenny Potter, who I had on, she wrote a book called Self-Sabotaging. He said, you're going to be in and out of a relationship. You'll probably be divorced right. a bunch of times. He said, I'm not speaking death over you. I'm just telling you, I'm just giving you the reality of where you are. Right. Ooh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so he said, you're self-ambitious. And he took me right to the scriptures. And I went to, and, and, I'll, and, and then I'll ask you this last question. So, and here was, here's what got me over it. Jake, was he sent me to a counselor. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I, and I'd known the counselor as a friend, I'd known him for years and years and years. And he would counseled several of my friends. And I was always like, I don't want to go see him. I think he's mean. Like I was all this, I was rationalizing all these things. Sure. That time I wasn't ready. And I remember walking in and I was like, I just want to, I just want to leave. Like, I don't want to be here. Mm-hmm. Right. Like the things that you, you need to do are the things that you don't want to do. Right. Right. And so I walked in there and he left a gap in the door and I was like, that's weird. Like everybody's going to hear me. And like, you know, and then, mm-hmm. then he said this, he said, if you're here to hear what you want to hear and stay the same, he said, close the door and pay my, my lady for my time. And then make another appointment and come back when you're ready or go close the door, sit down and let's let God heal you from the inside out.
1: Mm.
0: I got up as quick as I could. <laughs> pulled the door shut, sat back down, and that transformed my life. And the, the, the big piece about that was 15 years later at my wedding, Tom had, when I got back home, he had said, hey, this is special for you and Lisa, put it aside. And when I got back home, we came back from our honeymoon, I opened it up and he had given me back all the money that I had spent over the time period with him in a big check, like, wow. I couldn't believe it. I looked at it and I was like, this was like 15 sessions that I spent with him. And mm-hmm. he literally gave that back to me. he wrote this awesome message. And he said, this is my seed back to you because I believe that this is going to be the greatest years of your life coming up. And so mm-hmm. if I'm someone here and I'm listening today and I've heard your story and I and maybe I've went through some of that or I'm still struggling with that, what are some things besides, you can obviously say, read your book, but what are some yeah. things that they should do to take, because here's what I believe. I totally believe this, Jake, is the difference between the wisdom and the knowledge that you speak out of your mouth is the action that people take to get the healing that they deserve. Sure. Because I believe sure. people deserve that, right? So yeah. what are some, maybe a couple action steps that people can take to mm-hmm. kind of get the ball rolling in the direction of that healing?
1: It's mm. a good question. Well,
0: read the book first, obviously.
1: (laughs) Well, I think there is this first and foremost, it's understanding that transformation is much, much more about unbecoming and unlearning than it is about becoming or developing.
0: Oh, that's good. Say that again. Say that again. That was so good.
1: Transformation is much, much more about unbecoming or unlearning than it is about becoming or developing. This is the pattern. This is the way of things. Before Jesus ascended into heaven after his crucifixion, where did he go? He descended into hell. The way up is the way down. It's a paradox. There is this all too pervasive idea. That salvation is much more about sin avoided than it is sin forgiven. And that is just not true. We've made salvation all about the avoidance of like these little bad actions. And that's just, that's not true. Nope. Insofar that it's it's become so much more about appearing good than actually being and doing good. And even that can be a little bit tricky because in your case, with your self-ambition, there's nothing inherently wrong with ambition. It's all about the unconscious motivation beneath it that's driving it. That's what it's really about because you can give, right? But as scripture says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. How many people do we see give and then post on social media about it? right? In the name of inspiring others to do it, right? That is ultimately a conscious justification for your unconscious motivation, right? Your unconscious motivation is by virtue that which you are unaware of. That's good. And what I can what I can tell you after, you know, the better part of a decade doing this and, and working with hundreds of men, most of which are incredibly successful, the underlying unconscious motivation beneath their conscious behaviors or their conscious desire is one of trying to prove something, whether it's to themselves or to somebody else or protect something. Mm. I had a client of mine recently, great Christian man. Tell me after about six weeks of working together, I now realize that the first million that I made was to prove my father wrong. Mm. he was completely unaware of it. However, in his mind, he was exercising this God given ambition, which is true, but it's not the full picture. It's not the entire truth. The entire truth is that the unconscious motivation beneath his conscious actions was that he had experienced significant pain from his father that created this father wound or this father hunger that we see is incredibly rampant, even amongst or even with men who are raised in the church. That he was trying to perform his way around and ultimately claim victory over, but that had him avoid and this is why we say in the coaching space, you've heard this many times, the way out is the way through. Anger is the key to happiness. The more we reconcile and work through our anger, the easier time we have at accessing happiness. But this is not the way that the majority of the world approaches these things. We try to like perform our way to salvation perform our way to holiness, we're constantly thinking that we can develop or engineer our own enlightenment. And that's just not true. We have to be led there. Every hero needs a guide. That's my second piece of advice. So first of all, it's to become aware. Because what we're unaware of controls us. What we are aware of, we are in control of. The second thing is that every hero needs a guide. The illusion that we can do this by ourselves is is ultimately and arguably the strongest form of addiction addiction is the illusion that we can ultimately come to fulfillment on our own every hero needs a guide i needed to have a therapist And I've had many different therapists, coaches, and spiritual mentors over the years who have helped me get to where I am today because I've been in personal development for 10 years now. Every hero needs a guide. We all have blind spots. We all have areas in which we can use support that we need someone to point out to say, hey, have you ever thought about this? Because the pattern always reveals the problem. It wasn't until with my client, for example, We started talking about his dad that I was able to reflect back to him. So what I'm ultimately hearing you say is that because your dad did this or because of the story that you made up about yourself as a result of what your dad said to you or the way in which your dad treated you, you are now producing or experiencing this 20 plus years later. Mm. And you're justifying it behind the guise of being self-ambitious or being mission driven yep. or having a big, big vision or wanting to leave a legacy for your children. The biggest strength for most men is either an adaptive strategy or a compensating strategy to avoid experiencing pain. Mm. And this is especially true and prevalent amongst Christian men.
0: I agree. In the
1: name of holiness.
0: I agree. I agree.
1: Which is really just another performance.
0: Of course. Of course. And I think a lot of times, and and uh, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. I mean, I always say this, the enemy is not at the liquor store looking for the guy who's going in and out buying. He's in the church waiting for the man who's already committed himself to God so that he can mm-hmm. pull that person away. And you you said it perfect. Like you're getting these guys who know and love God, but there's just something in their life that's missing. They have that. Wound, like my wife calls it, the wounds right. that we have, right? And what does the enemy do to a wound, right? Constantly sticks his finger in there, right? And
1: right. Yep. And so transformation follows this clear path construction, deconstruction, reconstruction. Construction is where we become aware of the unconscious compensating strategies and limiting beliefs that fundamentally drive our behavior. Deconstruction is where we break through and heal from all of those things. Reconstruction happens after the fact. Unfortunately, the focus in most coaching circles is on reconstruction, faith, family, fitness, finances, not that there's anything inherently wrong with any of those things or the desire to improve in any one of those areas, but that's where the conversation starts And that's not where it's supposed to start. It's supposed to start over here, which looks like, what have you been doing with your pain? That is the first and foremost question, especially in men's work. What have you been doing with your pain? Because then, and only then, right, can the real man reveal himself.
0: Thank you. And I think it's hard. I'll be honest with you. I think it's hard for men. Like, Like I have, you know, a friend of mine recently that, struggling with his marriage and just it continued because he never got to the root. Like you just, everything you just talked about, like yep. try becoming and, and developing instead of, you know, right. unbecoming and unlearning, like yep. you you can't go back into a situation and continue to become something that you have not got rid of and unlearned what you were doing that made the situation the way it was.
1: Correct. Because what's going to happen You're going to get to the next level in your life, whatever that looks like for you, whether it's the next level in business, whether it's the next level in relationship or within your health, and you're still going to feel the same way.
0: 100%.
1: You're still going to feel the same way. And I've experienced this so many times with my clients. And Tom Brady is a great example of this. You know what he said after he won his first Super Bowl? I thought that this would feel different. Uh. He reached the mountaintop, the pinnacle of professional sports. He won a world championship. And yet he went right back. And this is, I mean, there's so much science that actually goes into this in psychology. Yeah, yeah. It's called yeah. hedonic adaptation, actually, which we don't have to go into, but it's that we return to uh, our relative baseline level of happiness. Of course. Which most of which is the result of the past.
0: Yeah. It's why he did all that he did when he ended his career. Why he didn't. Focus on his wife and his family and all the stuff that motivated him was the very thing that pulled his family apart, right?
1: Right. Yep. This drive to achieve, succeed, and the pursuit of power, possession, and prestige, not that there's anything inherently wrong with any of those things, it is most often an unconscious attempt to claim victory over a fundamental lack of self-worth, which is always rooted in pain.
0: That's nah, so good. So good. That's so good.
1: And nah, so, so good. we have to first and foremost construct and then deconstruct, right? And that deconstruction component is Jonah in the belly of the whale. It is where we are powerless, where we are out of control, where we are are stripped of our normal, natural, mental, physical resources the mystics would call it or refer to it as liminal space, and that all transformation ultimately happens in liminal space, because it was then and only in that time period where Jonah was like, "Okay," and he surrendered.
0: Yeah,
1: right. He stopped trying to do it his way
0: because he wasn't getting, he getting fo- out his way. Wasn't getting Cor- out of his way.
1: Correct. So God kept him there <laughs> as long as it took. But most of us like we don't know how to do that, especially in the church, because the church doesn't know what to do with like mystery or trauma or or things like that. It's great at giving like information, very poor at giving you tangible practical transformation.
0: Ooh. We just taught it's funny. So let's do this because you and I can talk about this stuff forever. We just have a, I just said that I actually That's a whole other podcast episode well, right well, there. This. So, <laughs> so, so what I want to do is I want to do some stuff to promote you more. Like I literally took like three pages of notes here of things that you said, like, you know, being aware, you know, every hero needs a guide. Like some of the things that really touches the soul. And I'm honored. I'm honored that, that Carrie connected us in that I want to interview you for my platform and have you dive into some of these transformational things so that we can promote your book more and just really pour back into you. Because I've realized, you know, more now than ever. And just some things from our talk like that I've been working on that really kind of will now allow me to see some different things in my life. Like, I'll be honest. I think I told you this before when we talked before. Like, I do these for other people but in the end it's really for me and my wife too because you want to be able you know i have friends of mine from high school I have a best friend of mine coming in two weeks to spend his last week of vacation. His wife's like, you need to go see my QE and spend some time with my QE. Right. And she's texting me. She goes, I'm so excited. My husband's coming to spend with you. And she goes, and I'm not going (laughs) to say a word. Do you just pour into him, Right. A lot of times, you know, when somebody knows you and knows what your spouse needs, you know how to transition into that thing. Right. Like, and so I, I I cleaned out my schedule, you know, I I really just want to be with him and pour into him and, Stuff and I think it's it, there's just so much good stuff here, you know, to bless and guide and serve a lot of the stuff that you said. So let's finish with this. Tell us how people can connect yeah. with you, how yep. they can buy the book. I'm ready to find out more and download it and read it myself. I'm I'm reading. I appreciate two books. that. It's next on my. Yours is next on my list. I had a friend of mine here, Bruce Palmer, that just came and spent four days with me he wrote a book and then he gave me another book on golf because he knows I'm a golf guy. And he's like, I think this yeah. book will be great for you. I think you could stay a scratch golfer instead of going from scratch to 10 over and back and forth. And so <laughs> yeah. I started to read it and I realized that it was. So tell us how people can get the book and connect with you.
1: Yeah, so the best way to connect with me is either through my website or my Instagram. Instagram, I'm I'm most active as you can probably imagine when it comes to communicating with people. But my website is awakewithjake.com and my instagram handle is i am jake kaufman so that's k a u f f m a n obviously you can get the the book on amazon uh, let love in the pain stops when the truth starts by jacob kaufman my full name that's j a c o b k a u uh, f f m a n you can also access it through my instagram page as well as on my website
0: perfect we're going to put all that in the show notes we'll put all that in the the advertisements that we do next week this this episode will Go live next week. A week from what is I even forget. Oh, today's Tuesday. I always sometimes yeah, as entrepreneurs we forget what day it is, right? Um, and my wife was off yesterday, and we just just really just poured into each other yesterday. It was it was just great, you know. When you and she's going to really love this. Like she's going to love to listen to what you said. We usually listen to him on Sundays on the way to church. We'll listen to a little bit on the way to church and a little bit afterwards because we dove dove sure. into some serious stuff. And I'm going to have you back. I'm probably going to have you back to dive into some more stuff because I've we done of these. I did with my friend, David and Katie Marie Hughes and David talked the first time and Katie Marie talked the second time. So yeah. maybe here in the near future, we'll, we'll have to have you and Carrie on too. So grateful for you, brother. And I say this all the time. The only way people get to know Jake is if you, if you go and you follow him, you know we're building a YouTube channel. I'm going all in on YouTube because my friend, Dr. Myron Golden, has just killed it on YouTube. He's got over 400,000 followers. I went to his event, and he just started in October going all in. And he hired Daryl Eves, who is the creator of The Chosen and who's one of the top YouTube guys in the world now. And I was just watching the making of this next series of The Chosen. And my friend, Liz Germain, who I'm learning from, from YouTube, just did a year long internship with Daryl Eves and I'm, she's got wow. a new course coming out and I've been learning from her. And yeah, so- Yeah, Liz is a good friend of mine. Oh yeah. Do you know Liz? Okay, good. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I've
1: known Liz personally for years.
0: Oh, awesome. We were just talking the other day about a bunch of stuff and I've had her on and stuff. So yeah, no, that's awesome. I'm so glad that you guys know each other. So yeah. good people connect with good people, right? And so- um, Thank you, brother, for being here. I say this all the time. Love God. Love people. Live with passion, vision, and purpose. Passion, vision, and purpose. Until the next episode of the Heat Fluence podcast, thanks for listening. God bless you all. Have a great rest of your day. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Heat Fluence podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Be sure to rate, subscribe, and leave us a five-star review. And as always, you can follow Michael on all social media platforms at Michael David Huey or www.michaeldavidhuey.com. Until next time, God bless and take care.